0: Gospel of John. This can be found, found on page um, 886 in the church volumes. John chapter 1, of 1 to 18. In the beginning was the word.
1: This morning, um, this time of December and Advent, I always think of it as a time of preparation and expectation, we're, you know, it's less than two weeks now until Christmas, some of you would have just been finishing wrapping all your presents, maybe waiting for that Here, last we'll to pancakes Others of you haven't been started? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're making plans, what you're going to be doing, Who you're going to be seeing. But also expectation as well. What are your expectations of this season, of, of this Christmas period? You're looking forward to catching up with your <coughs> relatives, you know, maybe you've got a couple of items on that list that you really are focused that are waiting for you on that tree. Do you get that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling of Christmas time that we see in those John Lewis adverts where we remember it's actually all about the people? Well, yeah, so for many, though, Christmas is a less jubilant time, it's uh, less about expectation, more about anxiety, less about light, more about darkness. As we've really prayed for, maybe you're worried that you're not going to afford presents for your loved ones this year, maybe you can't afford the time off work to celebrate. Maybe there's other crises going on in your life this time. <laughs> Maybe Christmas has bad memories. No Previous family bus stops. we uh, not looking forward to seeing that family universe since the last one we had that argument. Maybe going to be missing someone this year through bereavement, imprisonment, or just a uh, religion normal breakdown. I wonder whether maybe our biggest longings uh, at this time of year are not for gifts or to find more work. But for relationships, for a sense of home being home. And that's the theme of the Bible passages, but about home. And we're going to see a number of homecomings and home leavings. Our main text is uh, the first section of John's Gospel. Um, John is uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and uh, this is John's uh, introduction <coughs> to Jesus' love. Uh, but before we go there, i just going to rewind a bit to one of my earlier readings uh, was the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. An uh, introduction to John's Gospel is uh, pretty similar to the introduction to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, where it says, in the beginning, uh, in in the beginning, God created, created the heavens and the earth. The rest of that chapter goes on to talk about how God creates the sun, moon and stars, Adam creates the plants, the animals, and in the following chapter, it gives a detailed account of how he creates humans. And after all of this is done, from the looks at the creation, and says, behold, it is very good. Adam and Eve living in the garden of Eden in a world full of abundance, every need catered for. And more than that, all of their needs catered for. Incredibly, they lived with God. Uh, just look at this uh, beginning verse in Genesis 3, 8. And they've heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's hard to fully advance for us this sense of intimacy or closeness here. It reminds me of going for maybe like a walk in the countryside with, with a friend or, or around the block, maybe. Uh, just a leisurely stroll, nothing to get back for, just enjoying each other's presence the um, remarkable fact that the Lord God, who has just created the whole universe, actually wants to draw close to the people that he's made, to be with them. You know, I don't know if he was whistling down the path, or maybe it was leafy, but either way, he uh, wasn't trying to hide himself from them. But sadly, on that day, Adam and Eve were trying to hide themselves from him. Let's read on. The woman said, The serpent deceives me. This passage recounts one of the most significant events in the whole world. God creates out the need, he puts them in this beautiful garden. They can eat anything at all there apart from the fruit of just one tree, or the knowledge of good and evil. In a world full of yes, they sadly chose the only no. And as they do that rather than well, let's from rather than ask for God's forgiveness for that, we get the ultimate playing game. Adam things, Eve, Eve plays the snake. And the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> but as funny as that is in a way, um, it's devastating really to see how far Adam and Eve's uh, view of God has changed. They've gone from Longing and loving him, to being afraid of him, to being duped into thinking that God is seeking to withhold good things from him, uh, that he is not trustworthy. Now, first sight, as we read on, we go through. God goes on to curse the snake, he multiplies the pain of women in childbirth, he curses the grounds, making it harder to overcome. And lastly, verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach up his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the feast of the garden of Eden he placed the turban, an angel, and a flaming sword that had every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God, keen to avoid his people obtaining eternal life, it would seem, sends them out from the Garden of Eden, and here we have our first home leaving. Now, to many today, this is pure myth and fiction, invented to subjugate the masses. To others, perhaps a useful moral lesson in obedience and confessing wrongdoing. But in the Bible, this is presented as a real event. That happens. The claim is that the very fabric of the universe was changed. Uh, The creation was subject to uh, futility and corruption and decay, as we read in Romans, chapter 8. Something really happened as as Eve rebelled against God. And with that, the whole of creation fell. (coughs) Now, as to exactly who Adam and Eve were and when and where they lived, why Bible is less clear on this, Christians come to different conclusions about that. That's fine. But those books in the New Testament certainly acknowledge that this event actually did happen and that the world was forever changed as a result of it. Now, we can describe this in different ways, but to build on our Christmas theme, uh, some classic Christmas passages, we can think of This is living in darkness. So, for example, in Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light shines. Or in our passage today, John 1 4, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And that is our first point today. We live in darkness. So we really said that Christmas to some people is more about darkness and lights, and actually it's not just this season of the year, actually for our church this year um, we've had a lot of darkness in many ways, it's been uh, serious illness, many people bereaved, uh, some, some people know that Hannah and I are currently mourning the loss of someone close to us and that's genuinely been one of the hardest things we've ever experienced. Some of you I know have family in prison, you're divorced, or maybe you're longing to be married, to have children, uh, to get a job, to have respite from physical or mental illness. In the wider world, we don't need to look far to see the darkness of deep suffering that exists, whether that's terrorism again, the London Bridge, uh, wars and famines, weather volcanoes exploding, state depression. Dying this, it's only possible if we blind ourselves to the plight of the world around us. Um, Like that guy on Question Time who generally thinks that the average UK income is £80,000 because they clearly just thinking, sadly revealing the kind of nature of his social circle. You can only think these things if you blind yourself to the reality of this world. Perhaps the idea that the world is subject to corruption or is, as a result of the fall, as the Bible says, it's so, so far-fetched after all. But before we can move on from this, we just need to go a little deeper. Because while we may agree that the world out there is dark, what about you yourself? Do you think of yourself as this light shining in the darkness, a rare example of somebody who's seeking to do good in this broken world, or are you broken too? The more I think about it, the more I realise how closely aligned I am to my spiritual ancestors as and Eve, Uh, more so than I'd like to admit anyway. Rather than loving and worshipping God who made me, uh, I'd rather go my own way. I'd rather make a name for myself and praise his. I'd rather seek my good than that of those around me. If you're anything like me, you'll see how, weak, how we've inherited this sinful nature to the opposition to God. In fact, it's almost more like we were already running out of the garden, of Eden, and God just shut the cake afterwards. Like a rebellious teenager, running away, arrogant in our presumption that we're better off on our own, you know, we'd rather very often face this darkness by ourselves, without God. The darkness both out there in the world and in here, in our hearts. No matter how much we are trying to Well, that's the story of the whole Old Testament, basically. makes dramatic reading as we see the darkness of the human condition play out in wars and betrayal and family feuds and so on. But in the middle of all that, we get these hints that there's something something else going on. Reading in Genesis 12, for example, talks about how God, uh, through his great picture Abraham, that he brought into his native land, into the, from his native land into the land of Israel, His promise that through him all the nations will be blessed. Let's just remember where we come from here. God has created us. We've rebelled against him and he sent us out from the garden. And you think, surely, that's the end of the story. What else would there be to it? But not quite. Here, shortly after, this, there's a little promise that God will somehow bless us. And in that earlier reading, you might go, there's a prophecy here that one day from Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd his flock and that his people might dwell secure. Or again, in the passage in Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, in a way, the whole Old Testament is a bit like Advent, the whole Old Testament is a bit like Advent. It's a dark world, but there's this sense that this was not how it was supposed to be. It certainly wasn't how it was like in an Eden, And there's these hints through the scriptures of how God will somehow bless his people through this nation Israel, well, that from that nation in Bethlehem will come a ruler so people can dwell secure that in this darkness there will be a light shining. And this is our second point, that the light shines in the darkness. Let's turn to John now, in John 1 verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, there's not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is not overcome Do you not long for that light in your life? Life, that is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hang on a second, what on earth is going on here? What, what is this word? For? It's kind of like we've been waiting to get through the whole Old Testament, which um, takes a while, by the way, and you finally get here, you're like, we're about to find out what this light is. you like, great more vague hints and clues. We need to know what the light is. When well, we keep reading into verse 14, we see that this word became flesh and dwell among us. As carry on, see that John the Baptist was sent to point out that light, that word. And as it seen we've all received grace from him, from who verse 17. Not from Moses, but from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that child born in Bethlehem. Descended from a patron, Abraham, a light shining in darkness. Jesus Christ promised through the ages to us, Jesus Christ, believe he in heaven and come into life, our for Jesus. Jesus. Christ, who is the world. In fact, we could say, in the beginning, it was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was How does that make sense? Wasn't Jesus born at the beginning of the Old Testament, about 2,000 years ago? Let's look carefully here, yeah, because there's a remarkable truth about Jesus revealed in this passage. It says that Jesus took on faith. and it also says that in the beginning he was with God, and all things were made through him. Now you see, rather than God being this lonely old man in the sky that we see in paintings, actually in the Bible, God is presented as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's the second person God, the Son, who is the eternal Word of God, that we read about here. <coughs> Even in Genesis 1, right at the beginning, we see the three working together. God creates, the Word speaks, the Spirit hovers over the waters, corresponding to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons are one God, a tribe, unity, or trinity, if you want. Not a mass problem, just... A simple truth that unity is possible in love. Look at the marriage of Adam and Eve that follows immediately from that in Genesis 2, just before everything goes south. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. More than a euphemism, it's just a statement of unity in marriage, the two becoming one. Which is a picture of how God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are also one in their union with each other through their love. Right, like, why does all this matter? Well, we have to understand the context that John the Apostle was writing into at that time. This word in Greek the word word in Greek is logos. And that actually carried with it this whole philosophical uh, concept of it of this principle of reason, which would kind of govern the whole world. Um, and that's what the Greek people believed, uh, many of them. And actually, I think that's what many people believe today that there's some sort of um, force, universal force, or kind of fate, or something like that, that kind of governs us. Um, maybe some people would say they believe in gods, perhaps, but don't really know what he's about. But it's quite different to what is claimed in this passage today. This word through which all was made, that word took on flesh and dwelt among us. It's not abstract, but personal, flesh and blood. Let's see what that word is like, what that light is like. In verse 9, it says that this light is the true light and that it enlightens everyone. Well, in this post truth world that we live in, any claim at truth is usually met with the tiny little knows. So who are you to claim that you know the truth? How can we even know anything? Maybe it's true for you, but not like this. And while post is a pretty recent concept, um, actually, fortunately, but it was pretty helpful for us because it presents us with evidence to back up these. Things. And it is a clear claim that is made here. It's saying that the word became flesh. It's saying that his glory is being seen. That witnesses have been sent. This is not some hushed up affair. This is not asking you to believe some abstract principle or blind faith. No. God the sun, he came to earth, he took on flesh, he walked this planet performing signs and wonders, he died and was resurrected, and this was recorded by many people, many of whom went on to die themselves for those claims, and this was written down so that we too might encounter Jesus. Now, I know these accounts were written a long time ago, and many have uh, sought to discredit them through various theories, but these don't hold water. Usually the hames are little witnesses were mistaken in some way. Maybe there's a group hallucination, which doesn't exist. Or there's maybe some alternative explanation. Maybe the Romans made a mistake that after crucifying him and hitting his side with a sphere and putting him in a uh, cave until the third day, that he somehow wasn't actually dead. I mean, it could be possible if he'd been taken by air ambulance to the regional trade and admitted to intensive care, but uh, I don't think that happens. But maybe, maybe they weren't mistaken, maybe they were actually deliberately edited or they've been changed in some way or another. Maybe you think that the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages have changed all of these accounts to something different that we we'll now have today. And again, this doesn't completely make sense it's not clear why they would do that given that, unfortunately, the Bible today contradicts many of what's going on in particular at that time in the church back then. Now, obviously, please go over these issues. But for these reasons and more, I think it's really for these reasons to think that these accounts are reliable, that the Bible is historically trustworthy. See, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And this Christmas time, why not pick up a Bible, perhaps start with John's Gospel, and read the account of his life for yourself, and see whether he is the true light of the world. After all. But it also says that he is the light that enlightens everyone. And that means that both he is available to all, there's no discrimination, all are welcome. But it also means that all are Able to be enlightened, that all have some darkness in them, we all have darkness in us, we all need to be enlightened. So there's no one who's too good for Jesus, not needing him, but there's no one who's too bad for him with too much darkness. The darkness has not. Occurred. But what is the point of this light? How does this light help us? Surely the darkness of the world needs more than just a cuddly little baby to help him. This is our third point, that the light shows us the way home. Later in John's Gospel, in chapters 13 and 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and is anticipating his coming death. Yeah, great great guy to have over for dinner party, great chance. And he's, he's saying that where he is, he goes on to say, he he's going, they cannot come. The disciples get slow on the uptake, his usual thing okay, they're thinking maybe he wants may to go to a different place or town, and to go But Jesus taught about something much bigger in life. Let's just read really the beginning of John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that i go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you go. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is anticipating his death, his resurrection, and his ascension as he goes up to be with the Father again. And the purpose of all of that is to go and to prepare the room for us in his Father's house. He's saying there's many rooms there, and he's saying it's through Jesus that we come to the Father. Now, hold that thought for a moment, just while we go back to John 1. And this is an incredible statement, listen to this but to all who did receive him, to all who received Christ, who believed in his name, he gave them right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. It's difficult to know exactly what God's people may have been thinking in the Old Testament as they were awaiting this uh, coming saviour. you know, some of them at least would have thought that in their military victory over their oppressors. I don't know what, what does light shining in all darkness look like to you? What do you imagine it would be like? Do you think of a relationship reconciled? Do you think of an illness resolved? Well, here in John's Gospel we see something truly remarkable. Jesus Christ Jesus Christ gives all who believe in him, he gives them the right to become children of God. Not slaves, not servants or minions, but children of God. It's a language of adoption. See how Jesus promises to go and prepare a room for us in his father's house. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So we left our home with God, as we rebelled against him, but Jesus left his home with God to come and take us, to be home with him. How does he do it? Well, ultimately, it's on that cross as he died. See, so while he died, darkness came over the whole land. See, so our rebellion deserved to be punished. We're the ones who deserved to live in darkness, but it's Christ on that cross that he took the penalty that we deserved. He faced God's wrath instead of us, and it's as we put our faith in him, the fact that he died for us as we receive him as Lord, is that through faith we enter into the family of God, our sins forgiven, gaining Jesus as our older brother as it were, and gaining his father as our father. it's something that God does. It's not through physical birth or ethnic descent or human effort that we can make ourselves to be children of God. But it's only through God's supernatural work. So it doesn't matter if you were born into a Christian home or not. We each need to receive him ourselves and gain God as our father. This means that we can be truly hopeful about our future, about our eternal future. You know, we are going to continue living in this dark world now until Jesus comes again to take us home, which is that final, ultimate home that we're looking forward to. He promises to be with us in our darkness now and here, but ultimately he promises that we will be with him entirely in a land where there's not even a need for the sun, because we will be with God and will be living in the light of his glory there. Which we can read about at the end of the Bible. Don't put your hope in some political party or personal gifting or strong self will, your bank balance, your job or a relationship. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because in Him is life and that life is the light of men. And be thankful, realise that it's from His fullness, that we have all received grace upon grace. This promise of life isn't something that we deserve. Remember that line at the end of Genesis 3, where God sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, seemingly wanting to prevent them from having eternal life. Do you see how God, clearly does want us to have eternal life? He has given His Son to die for that. But that is not on our times where we reach out across that ourselves. It's actually a gift from God and we need to receive that. So be thankful, be thankful, but lastly, receive Christ this Christmas. And maybe you just want to hold up your hands with me and say enough is enough. Maybe you've realised that what this world needs isn't more political reform, better education, peace agreements, or climate change treaties. We don't just need more police and hospitals to be light in this dark world. Yes, of course, we need all of these things, but they are not the solution that is going to solve the problem. Because really, they're more like rearranging the same old broken building blocks that we already have. Because, unfortunately, all of these things rely on us as humans, and all of us are broken. So these are good things, but they will not deal with the darkness of this world. And in your life, fundamentally, you don't need just more money, or to have had a better childhood with better parents, or to have a loving spouse, or more self-control enough is enough. We can't do this ourselves. We live in darkness. But we are not left there alone. There's a light that shines in the darkness. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Christ is the light that shines in our hearts to bring us home to God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much that you have not left us in our darkness. That even though that is our fault uh, as humanity tied in from you, you have sent your son Jesus to be the light in our darkness to give him that we might live entirely with you to be in your home together. Please, Father, would you help us to to believe this is true? It seems too good to be true. Please would help us to believe it, that we would not seek to put our hope in other things that will make help to some degree, but will not solve this problem. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see clearly that it's only through Christ that we can come to you, that we will live eternally. Help us to put our faith in Him, to trust Him, and to receive Him this Christmas time. In Jesus' name. Amen.